At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmatheth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the walls. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the Dungate. Hoshaiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some of the priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachariah, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milale, Gilale, Meiah, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps to the city of David, on the ascent to the wall, and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two twires that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half, of, half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Measeah, Minayim, Micaiah, Eliyonani, Zechariah, and Hanaiah with their trumpets, and also Measeah, Shemaiah, Elazar, Uzi, Jehonanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezra. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, 
all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Now, back in um, oh, just this past year, 2023, the uh, Office for National Statistics released uh, data, stats, showing that overall people in the UK are less happy than before the COVID pandemic. Uh, people were asked, how satisfied are you with your life nowadays? Um, how happy did you feel yesterday? To what extent do you feel that the things that you do in your life are worthwhile? And the, the responses showed that measures of well-being have significantly fallen and anxiety levels have increased. So more than a quarter of women, 27%, reported high levels of anxiety. That's up from 22% in 2016. And today, 20% of men uh, report high levels of anxiety. The top factors on uh, impacting happiness was health and our, our personal relationships, our friendships, our connections. Interestingly, and rather close to home, uh, places with the greatest drop in happiness levels included Rushmore near Aldershot and Worthing in West Sussex. What is the solution? Well, um, apparently to move to a remote island in the North Atlantic. The Outer Hebrides um, off the northwest coast of uh, Scotland was a place with rugged white beaches, uh, amazing wildlife. It's described by the tourist board as your very own slice of heaven. People there scored the highest average happiness ratings anywhere in the UK and came second on life satisfaction. Well, this morning, rather than taking the 13-hour drive, two-hour ferry to the Outer Hebrides to find the secret of happiness, we're going to time travel back to 5th century BC Jerusalem. Let's get some context here. So the nation of Judah, they've been resettled in their homeland by the Persian Empire. They have been for decades in exile in Babylon. Their famous temple in the city walls, they they've once were ransacked by the Babylonians, left to charred ruins. Well, they've now been rebuilt. And as we travel to Jerusalem, whilst we're still miles away, there's a sound. That's quite annoying. It's going to stop in a moment. Um, but we can hear something, and it sounds like a huge music festival sound of a thumping band and a vast crowd singing and whooping and shouting, celebrating. Just look down in your Bible, Nehemiah 12, 27 and 28. There's a, a big band, cymbals and harps and lyres, numerous musicians. Verse 31, there are two large choirs. Verse 35, there's trumpets. 36, Musical instruments prescribed by King David, the man of God. But look at verse 43. Verse 43. Just imagine the scene. Imagine the volume levels. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem 
could be heard far away. Amazing. Now, whatever's going on back then in 5th century BC Jerusalem, this is a God-given and radiant joy. A God-given radiant joy. The sound of rejoicing and happiness, it was so loud, it was so heartfelt that it radiated out for miles and miles. The 2007 film, Pursuit of Happiness, is based on a true story of a single dad battling hardship and poverty. It ends in success and prosperity. It's actually a very moving story. In the film, Chris Gardner, played by uh, Will Smith, says to his little boy, don't ever let someone tell you you can't do something. You've got to dream. You've got to protect it. If you want something, go get it, period. And that's at the heart of the Pursuit of Happiness film's uh, idea of happiness. But what is, what is your dream? I mean, at a practical level, what are you striving to get in your pursuit of happiness? And God gives us many good gifts in this life for our enjoyment. But the danger is that in our hearts and in practice, we pursue happiness, we pursue joy, we pursue our ultimate rejoicing in the good gifts that God gives us. Health and work and friendship, adventure, hobbies, wealth, possessions. And yet, they are so fragile, aren't they? They're often elusive to us. And they were never intended to be our ultimate joy. They will fade and they will pass. Pursuing your ultimate joy in God's good gifts, it's a bit like trying to drive from Binscombe to your Outer Hebrides happy place on a roller coaster. In roller coasters, God's good gifts, well, they're great fun, but they go in circles. They won't get you to your Outer Hebrides ultimate joy. And that, I think, is one of the things that's at the very heart of why measures of well-being have fallen so much and anxiety has increased so much in Western society. Because we're more and more driven by materialism. So living focused on my material stuff and experiences, they can't ultimately satisfy our huge capacity and hunger for joy. But there is a different and a deeper, greater, more lasting joy that is radiating out on this day from Jerusalem, a joy that can be ours today. A joy that can be ours not only on the high mountaintops of life, but also in its deepest valleys. And yeah, even that deepest of valleys, death. God-given radiant joy comes from three things in Nehemiah 12. Let's look at them each. First of all, thankful praise to God. Thankful praise to God. Look at verse 27. We see why there's so much joy. At the, the occasion, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully 
the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres. So th the reason for their celebration is to thank God for and to dedicate the completion of the walls. And this is a big deal, what they're doing. After ceremonially purifying themselves, in verse 31, um, the leaders, they assemble two large choirs on Jerusalem's walls to give thanks. Verses 31 to 37 describes one choir marching round the top of the walls one way. And then in verses 38 to 39, the other choir marches around the other way. And there's trumpeters and they're going for it. And all the people worship and they praise God with songs of thanksgiving. And once they've circled most of the city, they end up in the house of God, in the temple. And look at verse 43 again. There with great joy, they offer great sacrifices and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This was kind of your 5th century BC equivalent of Word Alive and Keswick worship celebrations all rolled into one or a kind of a, a Christian Glastonbury is going on here. And at the heart of their radiant joy was deep thankfulness to God for all that God had done for them. Let's try and get a feel for that. So Jerusalem was uh, once a wonder of the ancient world. People came from all over the world to worship God there. But when they rebelled against God, the unthinkable had happened. In 586 BC, God gave them over to the Babylonians who devastated the city and the temple and left it a disgraced and charred ruins until God moved the heart of the Persian kings, the next world empire, so that they'd been allowed to return and rebuild. There'd been opposition along the way, holdups and setbacks. In fact, one time, right at the start of rebuilding the city and the walls, their enemies mocked. I just listened to the irony of this now. In chapter 4, verse 3, their enemies walked, mocked as the start of the rebuild of the city. What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty empty now, doesn't it? Look at them now. Hundreds of people are dancing on top of the walls. And they're celebrating what God's done for them. After years of disgrace, Jerusalem is once more a thriving city. You know, a hundred years earlier, their ancestors were still hundreds of miles away in exile in Babylon. Jerusalem was an overgrown ruins. But look at them now. They had to pinch themselves to believe it. But now let's time travel. From the 5th century BC, way, way down through the ages, past our day, right to the end of this age, to eternity, to God's eternal new creation. And there we see there's another vast crowd. They're not dancing on city walls, but they're standing before a throne. And they too, they give thanks in a loud voice. Revelation 7, 9 to 10, the Apostle John says, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude 
that no one could count from every nation and tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands. And they crowd cried in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the Christian's very real, very own, not just slice of heaven, but heaven. God-given, radiant joy that lasts forever. A thankful praise to God and to Jesus the Lamb who sacrificed himself for our salvation. So right at the very heart of God-given radiant joy is a deep thankfulness to God for what he's done for you. Back in Nehemiah's day, the people grew joyful thankfulness as they absorbed what God had done for them and remembered where they come from, where they were today. And that is exactly how it works with Christian believers for, for us today. And practically, it means taking time to meditate in God's word. Fill your mind on, on the one hand with how great your sin is. And on the other hand, how great your Savior is. And so there's a real irony here, isn't there? A key to radiant joy is to grow in your mind and in your heart a deeper awareness of your sin and of your deserving of eternal hell. That sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? But unless you do that, well, you'll not see how great your Savior Jesus is. His death for you, it may emotionally move you to some tears on occasion, but it will never put a spring in your step of praise to God on both the mountaintops and in the deep valleys of life. The Apostle Paul helps us to, to feel just how dramatic the change is. He says this, as for you, you were dead. Well, it doesn't get worse than that, does it? You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We were in the domain of the enemy, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at that time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, God's wrath, just holy wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You see that? Amazing contrast there. And the more you see the incredible thing that God has done for you, the more thankful your heart grows. Let, let's cultivate, let's cultivate that gratitude in our lives of 
reflecting on where we've come from, if you're a Christian this morning, and where you are today. It's a kind of pinch yourself. It's so good. And the more then, as we grasp that, the more we dance around, as it were, the the walls of our lives with a God-given joy that radiates out to those around us. So thankful praise to God. But secondly, God-given radiant joy in Nehemiah 12 comes from dedicating all to God. The celebrations here, they were to dedicate everything to God. They rebuilt the temple and the wall. And that had come at great personal cost, both financially and in time given. Their families had sacrificed a lot. But rather than holding on to and celebrating their hard work in dedicating the city and the temple, they were saying, well, this is the work that we've done, but God, you alone enabled us to do it. It's yours, all yours. We give it to you, God. And in fact, if you scan down verses 44 to 47, you'll see there that their dedication wasn't just a one-off worship celebration on that day, but it was ongoing. They sacrificially gave their money to provide for the ongoing worship of God at the temple. God-given radiant joy that comes from a a growing thankfulness for all that God has done for us in Jesus results in us dedicating our all to him. And it's worth just pausing to reflect on this, that remember that your all is in fact only what God has given to you in the first place. Some years ago, we were on a, summer camping holiday and someone kindly gave us one of those those huge rubber rings that you can play with in the sea and, the, and we had we had great fun with it in the sea and in the pool but we told the children that um at the end of the holiday we were gonna we were gonna likewise pass it on to another family and so they could be blessed like we've been blessed well the whole end of the holiday came and we gave it to the family camping next door to us And as we did, we noticed a twinge of sadness on the children's faces. There was a kind of battle going on to let go of it. It was our precious. And uh, so we had a helpful chat. I think they would say sermonette um, about giving it away. Just as someone had given it to us. And and dedicating our all to God is, is just like that, isn't it? All that we have, all that we are, are gifts from God in the first place. And yet, don't you find that in your heart, you're often reluctant. And there's a battle that's going on to let go. I I find this all the time. To, To dedicate my all, my time, my love, my health, my wealth to God. But look, when we do let go, as we should, and dedicate our all to God, the Holy Spirit of Jesus so often fills us with radiant joy. There's spiritual freedom and there's power in your life as you surrender all to God. 
In his book, For What It's Worth, um, Simon Gilbo tells the story of Walter Lewis um, Wilson. He was an American doctor uh, from the end of the 19th century. And he was a faithful Christian who was incredibly hospitable. One of his guests once asked him, who is the Holy Spirit to you? And Wilson's answer was doctrinally correct. He said, one of the persons of the Godhead, teacher, guide, third person of the Trinity. Yeah, that's a pretty good answer, isn't it? But it was empty. It was theoretical, rehearsed. And so his friend pushed him a bit harder and said, you haven't answered my question. Wilson opened up with real honesty and admitted, he's nothing to me. I have no contact with him. I could get along without him. Notice that that is the, that is the opposite of celebrating, thankfully, what God has done for us. It's a celebration of what we do, getting by without the Holy Spirit. The next year, Wilson heard a sermon at church on Romans 12. And there was a challenge there, as we got in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to, for Wilson to offer his body as a living sacrifice, one that is pleasing to God, as Paul puts it. And the preacher said this, have you noticed this verse doesn't tell us to whom we should give our bodies? It's not the Lord Jesus, he has his own. It's not the Father, he remains on his throne. Another has come to earth without a body. God gives you the indescribable honor of presenting your bodies to the Holy Spirit to be his dwelling place on earth. Wilson was deeply moved and rushed home to seek the Lord. He fell on his face and he pleaded this with God. This is what he said. My Lord, I have treated you like a servant. When I wanted you, I called for you. Now I give you this body from my head to my feet. I give you my hands, my limbs, my eyes, my lips, my brain. You may send this body to Africa or lay it on a bed with cancer. It's your body from this moment on. I mean, wow, what, what a prayer. And that prayer of total surrender was a turning point in his life that led to a fresh filling of the Spirit of God and his power, to joyfully giving himself to making Jesus known that radiated out to many, starting with the very next morning when two women arrived in his office trying to sell him advertising. He led them to Christ. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? I mean, really, are you trying to get by without him? I mean, at a practical level in your life. God-given radiant joy comes from dedicating all to God, asking the Holy Spirit into every area of your life, and then watching what he's going to do as the joy of God, the Holy Spirit, radiates out from you. 
I don't know about you, but I so, so need this. You pray that for me? Can you pray that for each other? We need God. Lest we, we kind of plod through life, kind of Christianly, but actually quite worldly. And this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit gives radiant joy. It's about thankfulness to God. And it results in dedicating our all to God. And we need to have this as we um, draw to a close um, this morning. Is that this is for all, and this is our last point here this morning. This is for all who are trusting salvation to God. For all who are trusting salvation to God. Look back at the Bible passage, chapter 12, verse 30. Um, this is right at the start of the celebration procession. It says, when the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. And then after marching around the walls, um, the procession has ended in the house of God. Verse 43, just scan down to verse 43. And on that day, they offered, well, it's not just sacrifices, great sacrifices. <laughs> Rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children were also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At the heart of this was sacrifice. A life of God-given radiant joy. It's a life of thankful praise to God, of dedicating all to God. But at the very heart of it is a life that is trusting salvation to God. Not trying to save ourselves anymore. As animals were sacrificed back then in 5th century BC Jerusalem at this dedication, it symbolized the taking away of the just and holy wrath of God on the people's sins so they can be forgiven and enjoy God. But it all pointed forward to another day, the impact of which has radiated out not just around Jerusalem, but around the whole world and down through the centuries to every generation, to every tribe and nation crying in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So before we close this morning, in your mind's eye, come with me back to first century Jerusalem. And stand outside those same walls of Jerusalem. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is hanging on a Roman cross. And he's offering the greatest sacrifice of himself. He's taking the just wrath of God on himself for my sins. And he's taking it so that all who trust in him alone for salvation today can be forgiven and can enjoy God forever. Are you trusting alone in Jesus to save you? Think of that day. On that day, instead of Joyful processions marching around the walls. Jesus, the Lamb of God, carries his cross outside the walls where he's crucified. 
to the noise of a rabble mocking and insulting him, soldiers jeering, hail king of the Jews. And on that day, instead of the sound of women and children rejoicing so loud it could be heard far away from the large crowd that followed him to the cross, was the anguished cries of women mourning and wailing for him. And on that day, instead of the order and the harmony of marching choirs and bands who were praising God in the temple, there was the chaos of darkness at daytime and an earthquake and the sacred temple curtain being supernaturally ripped in two from top to bottom as the just anger of God at our sin was unleashed on Jesus. He lovingly and he willingly took it for us. Dying in our place and ripping open the way into the wonderful, joyful, loving presence of God the Father. That day was not a day of great rejoicing for Jesus. But it was so that you and I might live our days radiating with his joy. On the cross, Jesus suffered the eternal misery that you deserve and that I deserve. So that all who repent of their sin and trust their salvation to him might share in his eternal joy that he has always enjoyed with the Father. Are you trusting your eternal salvation alone to Jesus? He invites you to today and to rest in it. Put your faith in Jesus' death for forgiveness, in Jesus' resurrection for eternal life. This is the open secret to this deeper, greater, God-given joy that radiates to the whole world and throughout the whole of history, a joy that can be ours today, not only on the highest mountaintops of life, but also in the deepest valleys, even in that last greatest valley of death. So God-given, radiant joy can be found in the Outer Hebrides, but also in Rushmore and in Worthing and in Binscombe. Holy Spirit filled lives of thankful praise to God, dedicating all to God, trusting salvation to God.